I am Father Chris Alar of the Marian Fathers here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy, and it is always an honor to have you with us for Living Divine Mercy here on EWTN. You know, we in the past have done a show or two on the pro-life movement, and with the March for Life coming up again this Friday in just a couple days, we thought it was important to touch on it a little bit again, but from a different angle. What many people do not realize is the connection between contraception and abortion. And statistics, unfortunately, show that most Catholics do not understand the church teaching about it because so many Catholics actually engage in the act of contraception. So today's show, we're actually going to go back into our archives, one of the first videos that we have ever done, so don't laugh, but it is a video that we felt was a good example to understand and teach you again why the church teaches what she does about this very important topic. So now we want to start again with Ask a Marian. And Maggie from Tyler, Texas writes, Father, how come it's only the Catholic Church that is so vehemently against contraception? Well, Maggie, this is a very personal question and a very sensitive one for many people, understandably. So I think we first got to begin by asking, what's the first commandment? Um, isn't it to have no other gods before our one true God? Actually, God first said to be fruitful and multiply, which comes in Genesis before the Ten Commandments were even given to Moses. And do you know that prior to 1930, all Christian denominations were against contraception? But now the Catholic Church is one of the last ones standing, one of the only ones to hold this position. But to understand why, we need to understand the nature or the purpose of something. What is the nature or the what is it forness of a thing? Well, for instance, the nature of a car is for transportation to get me from point A to point B. But if I use that car to run somebody over, it's a violation of its nature and the purpose of what it's for. And what is the nature or the purpose of the sexual act? Well, it's actually for bonding and babies, yes? Unitive, the bonding, procreative for babies. Now, we all know we have ears for hearing, we have eyes for seeing, we have nose for smelling, and we actually have genitals for procreation. Um, some of us don't use those, but we that's why God created them. Now, if we plug our ears or cover our eyes, we prevent them from doing what they are for. And contraception works against the very procreative nature of the sexual embrace, which is conception. In the same way, lessly understood is in vitro fertilization. Now, this one removes the unitive nature. So here we have a situation where the baby's made in a lab apart from the love. And so the church tries to have us understand this. You know, contraception is not forming one flesh, as God stated, but it's keeping two fleshes. There's this physical and mental barrier because you're holding something back. You know, it's basically if somebody was saying, you know, I love you, but I don't love you enough to give myself fully to you or to have another one like you in the world. Most people think then that contraception is just preventative. I don't want another one. 
I'm going to prevent it. But do you know that actually it kills? Um, yes, contraceptions, many of them are abortifacients or abortifacients. You know, the pill, um, actually the birth control pill changes the lining in the uterus to prevent implantation of the egg, which is sometimes fertilized and which the church teaches is now a human life. So the birth control pill actually makes the body, the woman's body, think it's pregnant. So it stops having periods and then tells the brain to miscarry it. You know, the woman's body is perfect. It doesn't need plastic or chemicals or pills to interfere with it. You know, on the pill, the woman experiences more than 150 chemically induced physiological changes. But Father, you know, I hear this all the time, understandably so. Father, we can't have another child right now. Do you know the church does not command that you have to have as many children as possible? In fact, spacing of children is actually a virtue the church teaches. Methods, such as natural family planning, are safe and moral ways to do this. If you are willing to practice another virtue, a little temperance, for a few days a month, this is what the church says we should do. So here's the point. If you want to split up the procreative and the unitive, the whole purpose of making love is defeated. If it's not unitive, that would be like you saying to your partner, you know, would you please put this bag over your head? Would you please cover your head with a bag so there's no emotions here? I only want to make a baby. That's crazy. And if it wasn't procreative, you are basically saying, you know what, honey, cover your fertility, that part of your body. I, I, I don't want any part of that. And, and I'm just going to use the rest of your body for my pleasure. No, we don't do that either. You see, contraception is saying your fertility is a problem and I don't want that part of you. It needs to go. That isn't love. That's actually intrinsically evil. No, Father, <clears throat> it's great. It's not evil. It's women's liberation and freedom. Hmm, really? You know, authentic sexual liberation is to work with the natural way the woman's body was created. That's what natural family planning does. So sterilizing her with synthetic chem chemicals to make her sexually available upon demand is not liberation. Liberation would bring women respect. And has contraception gotten men to respect women? Has it slowed the divorce rate or abandonment? No, the opposite has happened. Because of it, our society has driven our sexual choices away from marriage and family life. In fact, uh, Paul VI tells us in Humana Vitae that even before, and I should say, even before that, the church warned, if you do this, there will be rampant infidelity among married people. We've seen that. The church said that it will lead to rampant promiscuity among unmarried people. We've seen that. And the church also said there will be a breakdown of marriage and there will be an increase in both fatherless children and abortion. We've seen that also. So here's the point. Many people say, well, Father, contraception decreases abortion. No, it actually increases abortions because of this mentality that we don't want new life. That becomes the norm. You know, the Bible says our body is to love in the image and likeness of God. 
But how do we do that? Well, look at the root word of gender. Gen actually means to produce or generate new life. That's why God's love is generous. His love generates. And that is why we have genitals. True gender confusion is seeing sex only as pleasure and others as objects. Do you realize that contraception is like receiving Holy Communion in the state of sin? It's a lie, and God's grace can't bear fruit. You know, the outward sign of receiving in this way is basically saying, hey, I don't care. I'm, I'm giving you the impression I'm in union with Christ in this church, but you're really not. In the sexual act, it's the same thing. You're saying, hey, I'm in union with you, and I desire to bear fruit, but you really don't. You know, Jesus said, I give you my body. But with contraception, we do the opposite. We don't give our bodies. And this is why we're not being Christ-like in that sense. I know it's difficult to understand, but please try to see that. You know, how do we know it's difficult to understand? Because 96% of Catholics in the United States have said they've used contraception. And we have to really understand the reason why the church teaches what she does. Remember, if you had sex and got pregnant, it wasn't an accident. It doesn't mean something went wrong. It actually means something went beautifully right. So thank you, Maggie. And I know that's a long answer, but God bless you and all of our listeners, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for watching that archive clip with us. And as you can see, I looked a lot younger there. Since then, cameraman Giuseppe has given me a few more gray hairs. Now, this is such important work of the church, the pro-life movement, that we often pray, and we should, that's most important. But we can't forget to also be actively involved in our communities to help mothers who maybe are facing an unexpected pregnancy or who feel there's no alternative to abortion. So let's watch now the amazing story of St. Clair's home in South Carolina. This is a story about dreams, six of them to be exact. This is the one that is happening now. It's moving day for Honey into a newly furnished home of her own. At one time, doing so was more than impossible jobless with a criminal record and a disastrous rental history. She was living in a tent in the woods and she was pregnant. I was seeking God but not putting him first and so I think that God was putting me in a place to kind of hit rock bottom to kind of help me get out. To do so, she says, the Holy Spirit guided her to St. Clair's home in Greenville, South Carolina. We are a maternity home and we help homeless pregnant women. We take women out of their cars, on the streets, in the woods. These women have been neglected and abused most of their lives. I was welcomed with um, open arms. Um, Sister Teresa met me at the back door. I was kind of worried that she was gonna, you know, judge me, and um, but she didn't. She was really kind. She gave me a hug. My responsibility is to make sure that they achieve their goal. Because when they come in, we sit them down. So what do you want to achieve? What are, you, what, what are your aspirations? So uh, what I do is to make sure on a daily basis they are on track with what they are, they are here for. We are not an emergency shelter. 
We are a program, and the program is designed to help moms get on their feet. If we are telling women that they should not have abortions, we should be able to prepare um, to help these women, and to be able to give them a safe place to go, to be able to learn how to raise their child. I was six weeks pregnant with her, and I ended up getting sick in the beginning of the pregnancy where I couldn't work. So I ended up getting evicted, ended up homeless, going from shelter to shelter. And then I was like, well, if I have nowhere to go, I'm just gonna end the pregnancy. But then I ended up like praying about it and asking God like if St. Clair's is for me to stay, just give me a sign. And then like two days later, Valerie had called me to tell me that I can come here. I came here when I was 38 weeks pregnant, came here to get my life together and provide a better future for my child. You have to find a job, you have to better yourself, you have to show that you're bettering, bettering yourself in some shape, way, or form, whether it be, you know, getting rid of bad habits, attending school, religious um, services, work, and I was supported through all of that. That support comes from more than 100 volunteers and social workers, teaching courses in everything from nutrition, finance, infant CPR, childcare, and more. My first time, my baby, <laughs> like when I brought her home, I didn't know how to give her a bath. I know that sounds like very weird. So I had to have Sister Stella help me give her a bath. Invaluable to the home is the partnership with the Sisters of St. Michael the Archangel. They offer everything from diapers to wise counsel and a sympathetic ear, as well as praying with the mothers at the nightly family style meal. This meal is prepared by one of the moms. And so we teach them those cooking skills to be able to have nutritious meals. But this is a story about dreams. And Claire's home literally began with one some 20 years ago, a dream that was a nightmare. I was 10 years old. I actually um, saw a, in my dream, a pregnant mom um, on the operating table about to have an abortion. She came running to me in tears when she woke up that morning. Even though she was just a fifth grader, you know, she knew what abortion was. We sat and talked about it um, with her older siblings and, you know, kind of brainstormed, like, you know, what can we do next or what can we do to help? The family organized fundraising walks and festivals for local pro-life groups, but the dreams kept coming. I had a second dream when I was around 17, and in that dream, I saw a home and I can close my eyes right now and still see it where it was as if God was saying this is the next step for you and then I had my third dream in the dream I can see about a hundred people of different ages I woke up knowing these are the lives that are going to be changed with this maternity home I was having a deanery respect life meeting she came and she said we really need to do this and so I said Okay, Claire, and just kind of, yeah, that's, that's nice. But then the next morning I was praying at the abortion clinic and um, someone came up to me and said, I want to give you $30,000 to start a maternity home. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Finding a location proved to be more than a challenge. One home had drainage problems. A tree fell on another. Residents in one neighborhood objected. But years later, the dream of finding the right home became reality. It was dedicated to St. Clair, a 12th century nun who miraculously defended the city of Assisi from Saracen soldiers by calling on the power of the Eucharist. 
any time that you're working in the culture of life, we have to have lots of prayer and we have to have lots of spiritual help. And so we knew we needed someone tough and St. Clair is the person that we, um, we wanted to call upon. <laughs> now, whenever we have tough situations, a lot of us will say, well, thanks be to God, we're open. <laughs> this is tough and it's not easy work by any means, but we're open in helping women. And for our sixth and final dream, groundbreaking for a new convent on St. Clair's grounds for the sisters. But this story doesn't stop here, for St. Clair's home is a launching point for many more dreams to come. As a result, now I have my um, certification in billing and coding and office administration. I would like to be in CNA before I leave here. I would like to have my own house or apartment for me and my daughter to start over fresh, just the two of us. So I've been on the Dean's list for quite a while and I will be graduating in the summertime. I'm getting my bachelor's in science. My major is um, religion and my minor is biblical and theological studies. And I plan to teach with that um, at my school online. We just pray that they continue to keep this love in their heart and remember all that they've learned here and that, the, that there are people who love them and who didn't even know them before. And that not only would we provide these women with a house, right? But that we would be able to show them love so that they could know God. He loves them so much that he, he wants those wounds and those hidden parts of themselves that they don't want to show anyone. He wants those in the open so they can be healed from them. You just have to forgive yourself for what has been in the past. If you are not, if you're having issues with that, it's not God who is, but you not forgiving yourself. So the mercy of God is always abundant for us because we are all sinners. As someone who's been working in the pro-life world and fighting for life for so long, when I see a baby that could have not been with us, it's a joy that I can't even describe. All I can think is, I, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, and I, just to praise and to thank him because I know that that child is going to be somebody that is going to be very important. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs>
My job was to educate pro-life congressional and Senate offices on these matters to give them a greater perspective on how the abortion lobby uses U.S. influence to endanger the unborn in other countries. You may be wondering, how can I help the pro-life cause if I'm not in politics or in that sort of field? Well, as Catholics, we believe that the church faithful, no matter what occupation or state in life, is more powerful than any politician, government, or network. We have the omnipotent God and the queen of the universe on our side. That is more than enough. By the grace of your baptism and the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you can work miracles. You want to help the unborn but feel you don't know how? Strive for holiness. Fast for a loved one or even a stranger considering abortion and do penance for our nation and the world. We may not know how or when our prayers affect people, but we have faith in our merciful Jesus that no prayer ever goes to waste. Our Lady of Guadalupe and Protectress of the Unborn, pray for us. Well, thank you, Austin. We're continuing to pray for you and your vocation here with the Marian Fathers. Now, let's speak with Father Matt Lamoureux. You might remember him from last year when we did a story about him and his parish back in Illinois. And at the time, he told us about his shrine to St. Gianna. Let's hear a little bit more from Father Matt about this great saint of mothers and unborn babies. Hi, my name is Father Matt Lamro, and this is Saints in Focus. One of my favorite saints is Saint Gianna Mola. Why is she one of my favorite saints? Well, back in the 1920s and 30s, she grew up in a devoted Italian family. My mom's Italian, so I think that's where it started. And they, they raised them in the faith, they went to Mass, they did the Rosary, and um, they had difficulties. But in the midst of, of their family life, the, the, the faith grew because of the example of the parents. And one of these kids was Gianna. And she felt called to possibly the, uh, the religious life, but her health wasn't the best. And so her spiritual director encouraged her in other ways of life. And, and one day she really discerned that the Lord was calling her to be a doctor. And uh, so she went into the medical field. She became a pediatrician. And she devoted her time and attention, especially to the young, to, to children, and to the elderly, and to those uh, in need. Um, eventually, she, she met Pietro Mola, and they fell in love. And after the marriage, they had several children. They also um, had their crosses as well. Uh, they had two miscarriages. Um, and, uh, and with her fourth child, Gianna Emanuela, uh, St. Gianna's doctor found a tumor in her uterus, and, uh, and so they had to make a decision. And so the decision they, they made was to, uh, to save the life of the unborn child and allow, allow the child to continue to develop in, in her womb, but even though there's a there risk um, with a tumor that she had. She gave birth to a healthy child, Gianna Emanuela, but unfortunately Gianna died several days later from infection um, from from the, the disease that she had. People started to ask her intercession because they recognized her holiness. And sure enough, miracles started to happen, especially there was two miracles that were proved from Brazil. Devotion to Gianna uh, spread all across the world and uh, where Pope John Paul II canonized her as one of the last saints they canonized, 
in uh, 2004. And first time in history, church history, that a spouse and kids were there for the canonization of, of their mom. And uh, fast forward to, to now where my devotion to her increased. And so at, at my parish, we started a, a shrine dedicated to St. Gianna on our grounds. And so we have our story there uh, at, at the parish. So my encouragement for you is to, to learn more about St. Gianna Mola. She has uh, some writings there and some writings about her, but mainly to, to pray to her and ask her intercession for your vocation, how, how to, uh, to answer the call that God is, is calling you uh, to do. What is he calling you to do in, in your life? And even in the midst of the cross is how to offer that to the Lord and, and not to give up even when, when times are tough. And, um, but I also encourage you to, uh, to seek her intercession for your kids. And especially if you've lost a loved one or a child, an unborn child and, and miscarriage, that there is healing, healing uh, through St. Gianna's intercession. So may God bless you. St. Gianna, pray for us. Well, thank you, Father Matt. Now, if you've been inspired at all by these stories, why don't we listen now to Maria Gallagher, one of our Marian Press authors, as she talks to us about how to get involved in your community. The practical advice that I can give for people to promote the pro-life cause in their community is first of all, do an assessment of your strengths and your gifts and talents. We can use everybody in the pro-life movement. And it's all a question of what can you give? What is God asking you to give at this moment in time? I know women who knit caps for newborn babies in the NICU. I know people who use social media to promote the cause of life. I know people who love to organize maternity clothes and baby clothes in their local pregnancy centers. Whatever gift you have, we can use for the pro-life movement. And you can make a real difference. You know, we may never know in this life how many lives we saved, but I think in the next life we will. And it's a powerful thing to save a human life. Well, thank you again, everybody, for joining us. And please be with us next week because we're going to talk about somebody named Blessed George Machalitis. Now, if you don't know the name, he's the reason that I'm here today because he was the last remaining one Marian before our community was renovated. Quite a story. So until then, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.